Hi everyone, so um, I'm Kevin Brazan and I'm joined with Associate Professor Theo Gilbert in Learning and Teaching and we're going to be talking about his practice around compassionate pedagogy. Now the framing of this conversation is really in light of the BAME attainment gap that obviously exists um, or also referred to as the BAME degree awarding gap that exists in higher education and it would be really interesting to talk about compassion and how this can help us to eradicate that gap um, and how it can help and um, the lived experiences of BAME students within higher education. So thank you Theo, without further ado um, let's kick into the first question. Just wanted to check in with you, for those that aren't cognizant or aren't aware of compassionate pedagogy. What, what, what is compassionate pedagogy in higher education? Thank you, Kevin, a very good question. The first thing we need to do is understand what compassion is. And one of the reasons why there hasn't been a concerted effort across the sector to get compassion into, um, into education at terrible cost um, to, uh, to students and staff, so that Henri Giroux now describes the, uh, universities as theatres of cruelty is because people don't understand what compassion is there's not there's really very little excuse for that if i may say so in education because compassion has been defined not as an emotion but a psychobiological motivation the same as to reproduce to have sex to eat it is also a psychobiological motivation to care for each other and our brains were developed that way with a mammalian brain and then a neocortex. It has not to do, it is not to do with emotions. So compassion may be accompanied by any number of emotions from rage to tenderness, but it is a psychological, a psychobiological motivation in the brain. Two, here's what compassion is. And we've known about it for 20 years in education and done nothing. It is a sensitivity to the suffering of others and a commitment to reduce that. In other words, if you were going to bring this practically into pedagogy, for example, in group work, teamwork, we're simply going to assess students with a very, very practical skills um, related to uh, continual um, patterns of behavior in teamwork or either monopolizers over talkers or those who don't contribute. That can be in the workplace as much as in the classroom. So we're going to apply that there with practical skills so that students can understand that compassion means, not an emotion, but to notice, vigilantly notice, especially online with everybody's cameras on, who was in distress, who was being disadvantaged, including oneself. And then we show them what you're going to find quite often and what you can do about it. And it's working. All we needed was, a, was, a, was a, uh, an empirical understanding of compassion that it is not an emotion, it's, uh, it's an intention and motivation to notice distress and do something about it. And education has ignored that for 20 years from clinical scientists, uh, um, from, from clinical psychologists, from neuroscientists, anthropologists, ethnographers has cut no ice with them at all. And that is nobody's fault. That is just the way the institution was built in response to, um, to things like the industrial revolution. It's nobody's fault, but we're all responsible for sorting that out now. And how, Theo, I guess within the context of looking at the issue of the BAME degree awarding gap, how, how would, um, I mean, it sounds like common sense to me, but just for the viewers and those tuning in and listening to this conversation, how can this relate or be used to support, you know, students that may be, um, for, for, for Black, Asian students, BAME students that may be struggling or affected by the, the degree awarding gap? How, how could this help in, in addressing those issues? 
there are two things to take into consideration. That's a very, very direct, good question again, Kevin, thank you. What is good for BAME students is good for everybody. Mm. What benefits BAME students in leveling the playing field is good for everybody. We have irrefutable evidence now, according to Professor Philip Woods um, on leadership and democracy. We have irrefutable evidence now that the data that we've collected from this for both white, local and black and international white students, all of them benefit from this. However, what we also see is that the critical thinking scores, the academic scores for our BAME students go up. That comes from a leveling of the playing field where students are rewarded, not assessed, but rewarded for doing something to disrupt the behavior of a monopolizer, somebody who overtakes the group and wants to control because of the overstimulation of the threat system in society through politics, um, media, business, education, all of it. So all of us, we have now highly overstimulated threat systems. If we can downgrade that by teaching students what to do about that in group work, in teamwork, wow, that means that people's um, critical thinking processes are not being drained off into routine social defense mechanisms. And what do we see? And three, um, three um, either professors, readers, doctors in, uh, in statistics from three different universities, from London University, the Royal Veterinary College, from Hartford University, our own um, professor of statistics, Neil Spencer, um, Dr. Um, uh, Matteo Crotter, uh, Dr. Sylvia Becker from Edinburgh University have found that in our data, um, the BAME students seem to then feel free and bang, they smash it every time. They can go from 30% in an essay, marked by the same two tutors, very seasoned and experienced, double marked, to 70% in, um, in uh, the critical thinking scores given by the same two tutors, double marked again, in a professional discussion, in the discussion of a case study. Uh, it could be of a patient, it could be of a business, it could be of a, a, an article. Okay, and this sounds to me, but Theo, it, it sounds to me that there is a good case for, or a case for how we view assessment then, in terms of how we assess our students, because you're, you're picking up on critical thinking differences yes. there, so do you want to say a bit more about that? If we want to do something about the BAME gap, we need to start thinking about authentic, authentic assessment. Essays were invented by a white man in the 16th century, and what employer had I ever been able to come across a single one that is looking forward? To how many essays <laughs> a new graduate on the team at work is going to be able to write this is a, we are hopelessly out of date here so much of what we do is built on the industrial revolution authentic assessment means allowing people to come forward for example in teamwork and really feed that team it can be filmed in a group discussion as i say of anything in any discipline we have professors of physics and maths working with us now we have um um uh, people in, looking after medical degrees in Russell Group universities, focusing on this too. We don't want the essays, we want to know what people can actually contribute critically, creatively to, um, to problem solving and decision making. And, and that and is why and the compassionate pedagogy fits in and supports that in quite powerful ways we're finding authentic assessment. And it, would it be good, I think this might be a good time to kind of um, elaborate on some of your findings from your research around those authentic assessments. So what has been kind of the, the, the impact from your own studies around that where you drew, because you were talking a few moments ago around a comparison between how for um, 
BAME students and in comparison to their white counterparts. And we found that, you know, their critical thinking scores and stuff had gone up. Mm. Um, or was on a level playing field with 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 their counterparts. Mm. So, you know, do you want to talk a bit more about that research yes, and the yes, impact yes. here? To put this in its context, as you remember in 2010, 2009, the National Union of Students issued their report, Race for Equality, in which having um, surveyed 938 BAME students, they found that students were routinely, these students were routinely marginalized in debates and uh, discussions in classrooms. That's it. That's where the shyer students, the more marginalized students, the more disadvantaged students, those students who are putting up with persistent mosquito-like prejudice every day and have to get used to it, apparently. These are where these students don't come forward. However, if we say, if you, the mar marginalizing practices will be, will be penalized because otherwise your team is not working on all four engines. You have a team of four and only one person is speaking. Yalom tells us, the great psychotherapist, that the people who monopolize a lot are often those who are the most anxious in the group. So again, there is no blame, but the BAME students really have to pay for this. And the NUS pinned that down very, very well. Nothing has changed since then, nothing. And this is why they are, they are just, but if we can change the way we think about this, use the science and say, compassion is noticing distress. Be vigilant, be vigilant in your teamwork. If somebody has not been invited to speak or hasn't been able to get in or has been cut off three times by a monopolizer who's so confident, actually probably anxious and not allowing other people to speak, you do something about it, we'll show you what to do. We'll show you what to do keeping to the golden rule that the monopolizer is never humiliated and never silenced. These things are very practical. My own, my own compassionate psychotherapy is the fastest growing psychotherapy in the world. That's, that's, that's irrefutable, that's easy to look up. But how do we get the, 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 the fruit of that into practical ways to um, introduce students to how to work in teams with the new psychologies of group work where Belbin fails? And we could talk about this for a long time. People are not roles, they're people, and they can go across different groups. Uh, they can go across different roles. If somebody is ill, as Google found, for example, and a team uh, starts to cover up, uh, cover up for them by picking up their skills, cover for them, I mean, and, and, and take the group forward. That's resilience. Compassion is resilience. Belbin would never suit that. They'd be stopped in their tracks. Uh, Hofstetter, so reductionist, almost racist. You can think about people being shoved, shoved, shoved in Japanese tube trains and to get to work so they're so squashed together. But the idea of power distance for Japanese really, really has to be very seriously questioned because our resources change in every moment of what we're trying to achieve. And so do our behaviors. Nothing is set in stone. Everything is organic, even minute by minute. So and within, then Tuckman, yeah, so sorry. Sorry, Sophia. So I was just going to say, so within a, I guess, a class pedagogical context, then, I guess, thinking about this, there's something around, you know, there are key roles here that I'm picking up on. There are monopolizers who can monopolize, uh, monopolize the conversation, and that could be largely due to anxiety because of an overactive threat system. Yes. Um, there's also, on, on, on the back of that, there's another role to consider, which some of our BAME students can somewhat occupy, which is that, that non-contributor, that person who isn't very forward in speaking in class or wanting to contribute to the group discussion for whatever reason. And obviously that can be an unhealthy dynamic, but what you're suggesting for you is that, you know, we need to recognize this. And actually if, if a monopolizer is speaking for no fault of their own, we've got to recognize that behavior and there's some techniques. 
Absolutely. Assist in recognizing that. And those are very, very easy techniques. And it turns out the students are brilliant at it. So for example, if Jonathan is, is Jonathan is talking a lot, uh, monopolizing a bit. So some, so Keisha, for example, let's imagine she's a BAME student, but she might just as well be a white student, but it happens with the BAME students quite a lot. This is where they get really disadvantaged. So let's imagine Keisha is coming in, she's, gonna, she's picking up her courage now and she's gonna try and say something. And oh, and by the way, it turns out that some of our, the, 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 the BAME students actually even they're pushed out to group work, put in the best essays um, one way or another, even if that's not the best way of actually showcasing their skills, their critical values. So Keisha comes in, tries to say something. Yes, but, yes, but, da, da, da. Oh, thanks Keisha, but I don't quite agree. And she's pushed out now. What does the group do? And remember, we see this in staff rooms all over the world, all over the world. This is why we need to train our students to, get, to be really good at this kind of stuff, these new psychologies, because they're going out into the, to a world where problems are not being solved with all voices, but just with a few. We saw that with the boards of banks uh, for the, the, uh, the financial crisis. All of them, it's well, many of them, too many of them with no women and no ethnic minority voices there at all, white men in suits. So. Keisha's been pushed out. What are we going to do about that? Any other student, every other student now is responsible for saving Jonathan from losing marks. And he will for doing that unless they can save him. So what would they do? They would simply say to him, they would validate him. They would say, um, they would just slip in where he's going to draw breath and say, Jonathan, using a warm tone in a voice, Jonathan, that was that you've made a really critical point about, and I'd like us to come back to that. There's no patronizing here. This is validating, validating. And in the same breath, Keisha, could you possibly come back? I think what you were saying was really interesting. I don't think you quite finished it, did you? Could you, could you, could you continue, please? All in the same breath. And it turns out students are absolutely brilliant at this. Mm -hmm absolutely brilliant at this their job they know if we set this up at the, in the we can set up these sessions to teach them what to do and what to expect and who they are they're hardwired to be compassionate human beings that's how the brain has evolved actually very very interesting conversation there when the mammalian brain meets the neocortex okay and it's not derailed by this underlying threat system in the reptilian system um so she may say now she's so freaked out for example, so she's she just put her hand up and say, I, I can't speak at the moment. But what she'll do, what we would ask her to do is simply to say, um, Ahmed, could you help me out, please? That's it. And let's imagine what we're finding now is that let's say Ahmed, we see this again and again and again, is a very, far, very, very, very shy student. And like white students and black students, many students will be thinking and they've written to us, they've told us about this, it's come up in surveys and interviews again and again and again. I may be the person who says something wrong. There's only one right answer. There are thousands of wrong answers. I may be the one that's inarticulate, make a fool of myself. But Ahmed's going to speak now. Why? Because we have changed his motivation to do so. Keisha, please, Ahmed, could you help me out here? And now he's going to come and help her. We have seen that again and again and he'll smash it. And if he can't, if he can't do it and he stumbles, people are, are, are going to lose marks for busting in there and taking over. Mm. Instead, they could prompt. Ahmed, did you mean? Oh, I, I see what you mean. Uh, oh, yes, yes. We, we see students do this a lot, too. Once they learn to help each other, this team just starts to really start to feel safe enough to use their, their critical skills on task 
And that one of those tasks is getting the best out of everybody else, giving them a voice and letting them hear. The monopolizers learn to be far more concise. The most reluctant white monopolizers have said, glad you taught us this, because I'm seeing things and hearing things now I never noticed before. For example, when somebody is very shy and they try and speak white or, or, or BAME, it doesn't make any difference. And then the next student comes in and clearly has not listened to a thing that student has said. We have to do something about that. She said, I wouldn't even have noticed that. I was a monopolizer. I like to speak. If people don't want to speak, I thought, well, that's up to them. I've paid 9,000 pounds. It doesn't <laughs> work like that. And it shouldn't work like that. And our wonderful, wonderful monopolizing students, BAME and White, come forward and say, oh, boy, I've changed my ways. And we should have had this years ago. Just feedback today from another session with occupational therapy uh, apprenticeship students. What a shame we never had this long ago. And they're meant to be using it in the workplace, which they've said they will certainly be doing. I hope that's answered your question, Kevin. Yeah, it has, Theo. Um, I think it really highlights a few things here. Um, the real need for us to really consider assessments within higher education. Um, as you said, I think there's some archaic um, approaches to how we see um, assessments using essays. And I think this... It's a very kind evaluation. Yep. Yeah, I think this really um, supports in helping with those authentic assessments as you've suggested as well and they're very transferable obviously as well for, for as mm. part of work um you know later on as part of team building etc and we know group work can be a great source of tension um for students we know some students this can cause a great deal of anxiety when asked to work together in groups so and um, staying on the thread of the the micro skills for um, or, or authentic assessments, how can we, in terms of applying um, this technique or looking at assessing for compassion, what what are the steps? Um, what would students and and staff need to go through in order to set up um, a session that would lead to um, assessing for compassion for compassionate skills um, and micro learning skills? What I'd like to say is that um, anybody can pick this up from the resources available. There are films available. If you just look up um, uh, Compassionate Pedagogy or Theo Gilbert, Compassionate Pedagogy or Compassionate Pedagogy um, uh, on YouTube, you'll see lots and lots of materials. There have been YouTube uh, reports put on what has happened when this, when this has been assessed from Anglia Ruskin, um, from, um, from uh, Aberdeen University. Uh, it's really, really easy to learn these learn these new psychologies. It, and students and staff can join together. And we can all learn about that in an hour and a half. And there are staff all over the world now who are actually starting to present this. This is wonderful. Kevin, you're going to be one of them. You are one of them. You're already doing fantastic work there. And it's going to underpin and support all the other pedagogies, the critical pedagogies that you are, are putting together now for the new module you're working on. It will support them all. Without, without it, innate predispositions to want to control, to want to succeed in highly competitive uh, cultures that, that beset us and overlie us and besiege us all the time now, from, from media, business, uh, from politics, from education, sadly, uh, will make that happen, but will lead to that happening. We, we, can, we, can, we can stop that. We can break into that quite easily. A one and a half hour session is all we need. We've done this with 228, um, one hour session, that was a bit short, with 228 computer science students. That's all they got of this. And the, and the staff were there to see what was going on as well. And then they were assessed like this, 
because again, it, there are, you can assess this two ways. One way, the simplest way, not necessarily the best way for students who are now under the pandemic and lonely, but it still works, it can still work. And that is two questions to ask students to fill in as a, as a, um, as a reflection. And it's only a page of reflection. And it's two questions that actually can, you would see, can, can actually divide all together into four questions on the page, just a little paragraph for each one. Wow, what came out of that for those 228 students? We looked at dozens and dozens and it was all the same quality stuff. Here's the first question. I, um, what is it my fellow students do in this teamwork, in this group work that uh, I most appreciate from them? That, enha that enhances my, um, I'm so sorry, what is it that my fellow team um, students do or teammates do in this uh, group work that, uh, that enhances my social and my learning experience? That's two things that are inseparable uh, that I most appreciate them in them. So there's two questions there. So we're getting things like, um, um, I made sure to leave spaces, to leave people to breathe, to think, to come in. I made sure that I was appreciative of what they'd done. I, um, I, I'm an, an international student and I, English is not my first language. I've been in group work for 10 years, teamwork for 10 years in different companies. And I really was worried about this, but this was the best teamwork I've ever had. And I'm still hanging out with these much younger people long after the module. Everything that we looked at, the computer scientist and I, on this module. Compared to the control, there had been the year before, there had been a nasty BAME gap, uh, which reflects the, the what's, going on in the, what's going on in the country at that time, a couple of years ago. There was no BAME gap to be found at all amongst the 228. Once they'd engaged with this kind of thinking right at the beginning of the module and had this session, it's very, very easy. The second question, what am I doing? What am I doing to improve, to enhance the social learning experiences of my fellow students that I believe they most value in me? So this is deep, deep thinking. This is encouraging students to be vigilant. Remember the first component of compassion, vigilance for who is being disadvantaged, if anyone, where disadvantaging or distress may be occurring. Watch, watch, watch. We have incredibly expressive faces for the online format now. This is starting to work really, really well. Some of the techniques have had to change. One or two little ones have had to change from, for example, how we disrupt the monopolizer. What we notice the monopolizer is doing in the classroom will be different from what they do online, but it's still easily disruptable without silencing the monopolizer by making them more concise, more attentive to the, to the needs of others, and, with, and, and actually pushing their own marks up sometimes too, when they think this is going to bring them down. Some of our white students have said that. It doesn't happen. And they, but, but what the white students most enjoy is this affiliation from the mammalian brain being stimulated here by the neocortex with this kind of assessment, this affiliation with more people outside their cliques than they would normally have ever approached. We have a lot of evidence yeah. on that. And this is great, Theo, because I think for me, there is definitely a case here for how this could work as part of maybe inductions when, when students first start at university as well, you know, and the questions that you're asking students to answer initially at the beginning of this process, I think would be very helpful as part of, you know, an, an onboarding process or coming into university as part of inductions and starting on a new module. I think there's something about really speaking to the process and articulating kind of expectations and values. Um, Could I offer that, a caution yeah, go, go ahead. No, sorry, Kevin. Just to offer a caution there. Um, some students turn up for that particular session, well, for any particular session on induction, some don't. 
what we sometimes find is that students will come out of a module in which they've done this and they will try and do this in teamwork on a different module where students have not been exposed to these basic skills and yeah. find I'm trying to to, to help people who've been cut off, to bring them back out of the out of the cold, dark water, back on the boat. And again and again, other people in the team, sometimes more than one, will push them out, push them out. We cannot work alone. This is pure teamwork. If we really want to um, uh, really battle with um, uh, inequities in an effective way, we need to root this cognitive these cognitive skills of compassion nothing to do with emotionally at the moment cognitive skills right into the assessment system and that is where you start to see evidence 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 of how the BAME gap is disappearing or or, or is not in evidence at all mm. yes compared, and to, I know, controls, compared I, to controls no definitely and I appreciate the word of caution you can't do this in isolation this has to be a whole a whole institution approach, a whole university approach, you know, everyone needs to be exposed to this. And, and I definitely, I, I, I totally um, concur with that word of caution, definitely. And yes, go on, Fia. Sure. And if I could add, actually, by the time students get to us, their threat systems have been so overstimulated since they were very small with SATs, Instagram, who's got the best grades and all the rest of it. Because of the way our culture works, we have a deeply dysfunctional um, culture, cultures all around us that are removing us, derailing us from the trajectory of our brain's evolution. This is massive. Um, there will come a time when these things are just taken, but the Compassionate Mind Foundation provides and generates a tremendous amount of theoretical empirical evidence on the true nature of compassion, where its neurocircuitry is in the brain, how it operates, when that is practiced, how it thickens, it actually changes the architecture of the brain, and how distinct it is from empathy, which is also a skill. If I was a psychopath and I wanted something out of you, I would not hold the gun to your head. I would hold it to your child's head. That is empathy. There's no love and joy there. I'm a psychopath. It's a skill. So we're really starting to understand these things and how they work much better. But I believe that once this is, this will be so normalized once in the education system. And this is why the Compassionate Mind Foundation is doing a tremendous amount of work now in schools, in schools. It should start early. And this, and this also relates as well to why on earth, even before COVID, we have a student committing suicide in the HE sector every four days. This is an appalling tragedy. It is totally unnecessary. Loneliness, loneliness foments this isolating fear of failure, this develop, this, this ridiculous, if I may say, this really dangerous emphasis, even in schools of education of the value of a self-esteem. Self-esteem is a deeply toxic, we've known this for years. I mean, Chris, Dr. Kristin Neff, a TED talk of hers, 1.5 million views. She's very, very well known now. It is, it is very strange to me that children and teacher trainees are still taught that self-esteem is a good thing. It's not, it means measuring yourself against everybody else in some aspect of your performance that Which is crash and that whole competitive it leads to persecution perfectionism yeah. depression yeah. anxiety it's accountable for a lot of suicides amongst students and children and it's got to stop and we're still teaching this awful horrible stuff we're still teaching it and promoting it self-compassion is a far more effective practical way to develop resilience to be able to get up and go on get up and go on without blame without self-blame and critical bullying voices well, Theo, if no one was ever sold on it, I think they have been now. Um, 
I just want to say thank you um, for this interview and for this conversation about this. I think there's a lot of mileage, obviously, around compassionate pedagogy, and I think we all need to get on board on it. And I feel that it's very promising, actually, for addressing some of these issues, particularly around the BAME degree awarding gap and helping to have students' voices heard, regardless of their background um, or where they come from. So thank you thank so you, much Kevin. for this, Fia. And I, I do want to say it does underline what the Black Lives Matter was all about. Noticing, noticing, get out your phone and record what you notice. Do not normalize that. We've got to do something about it. So compassion is underlying all of these, these movements for justice. BLM is obviously not the only one, but I would also say to any staff who are looking at this or students, nobody could do this better than you. For staff, nobody could teach this better than you. It's one and a half hours, plenty of materials on, on YouTube and elsewhere uh, and on the website, um, Compassion in HE website, WordPress. You, you'll, you have innate skills at this. You're hardwired for it. The, the system may have asked you, don't, don't, don't go there and told you it's um, not just the education system, but many other systems around as well, uh, that, uh, that compassion is a woolly emotion. It is most certainly not. And anybody can do this. And staff will know their, st their students, they'll know their disciplines, and they'll know where to use this with infinite ease. There's nothing difficult about this at all. Brilliant. Thank you, Theo. This has been Theo thank Gilbert you, and Kevin, Kevin. Present. Thank you I so wish much. All of them good luck and thank you so much, Kevin. You. In solidarity, all of us in solidarity.